Hey everyone, this is Dave Menachetti from Y&T, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Turn it up. Hello, this is Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Glenn Hughes, and this is Iron City Rocks. Fifty-two of the Iron City Rocks podcast coming to you live from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm John, your host. We're bringing the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 352, we have three very distinct and very special guests we have joining us. Bassist extraordinaire Glenn Hughes of the uh, most, probably notably of the uh, time with Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, uh, Black Country Communion. Uh, he is joining us to talk about the new Black Country Communion album that comes out on the 22nd of September. That's Black Country Communion 4. Uh, also just uh, announced earlier this week that Glenn Hughes played bass on Joe Satriani's new album. So uh, really exciting time for Glenn Hughes. A lot of things going on with him in the news. We are also joined by Bob Kulik. Bob, um, obviously a name that's familiar to many, many musical fans uh, he's made some great tribute albums over his career to different artists. He's worked with Kiss, worked with Meatloaf, and countless others. So we're going to talk to uh, Bob Kulik about his new album in just a little bit. And also joining us uh, from the punk band X, who are uh, celebrating uh, kind of their 40th year uh, and putting together a live album, uh, kind of covering their career. We are joined by DJ Bonebreak a little later on in the program. But first we're going to turn our attention to Glenn Hughes. Glenn has been... Uh, involved with music for a very long time, involved with many, many bands, uh, two Hall of Fame bands, uh, Deep Purple and Black Sabbath, to say the least. Uh, has played with countless musicians and is kind of widely recognized as one of the um, really greatest voices in rock. Um, and I think listening to the new Black Country Communion album, which is called Black Country Communion 4, uh, you really get a sense for his the, the power in his voice. Uh, Black Country Communion, if you're not familiar, uh, Glenn Hughes, Joe Bonamassa, um, joined by Derek Serenian and uh, Jason Bonham on drums. Uh, just an amazing four-piece band. They kind of took a hiatus for several years, uh, but are out with their fourth album now. So we're going to play the lead-off track from that album. This is called Collide from Black Country Kingdom 4. Then we're going to talk to Glenn Hughes. <laughs>
Great pleasure. I welcome to the show one of the finest voices in rock. We have Glenn Hughes of Black Country Communion on the line. How are you doing, Glenn? Good day. I'm, I'm fine. Yourself? Very, very well. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, we are on the eve of the release of Black Country Communion's fourth album, uh, coming out later in September on the 22nd mm-hmm. in North America. Mm-hmm. Had an opportunity to listen to this album now five, six times. Uh, really, really impressed with it. Can you talk a little bit about... Um, First, what what brought you all back together now after you know kind of a few years of a hiatus? Mm. Well, it's a beautiful thing happened. Whilst getting inducted into the Hall of Fame last year, Joe called me shortly after the induction and congratulated me. A couple of my friends called me, of course. You know, it's a really wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. And Joe said, um, "When you get to LA, would you like to have dinner?" I said sure. So we sat together late, you know, sort of mid-April um, of sixteen, and and we talked about life, and then we talked about. He asked me if I'd like to get the band back together and make an album. I said I'd love that, but we, if we do it, we have to make an epic piece of work. Mm-hmm. I don't. I didn't foresee us going in the studio uh, without any. <laughs> if you don't mind me saying so, epic songs, we had to have some, and I, we both felt it necessary that he and I write together on the album because the other two guys were were not available and we felt we needed to come up with the goods on this one. Right. So Joe, last October, came up to my house 11 days which was a, a record for him. He's never been here that many times on the first three albums. So I knew the commitment was there. So the very first day we wrote, funny enough, Collide came pop, it popped in my head, you know. Mm-hmm. And once we started writing Collide, and the next song was Wonderlust, and by the time we got to the, the third song, we started to write Love Remains, I knew we were stepping into the holy territory. I knew that we were on 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 uh, a, a really good ground i knew we were going to have a brilliant album if i may be so bold sure so and we and as i say we, we wrote 11 days in a row um and he, as you know joe's busy like a crazy man and i am too but we found a window last october to do this in between things we were doing and i was uh joe was always on time at 10:59 a.m at my house he's always on time he's always on time with everything that showed so much commitment and love to me that it only brought so much joy to write this this record you know and it was a a a grand and glorious moment now when you um do you enjoy having or, or do you find this kind of stressful to have a defined window in which you need to write an album as opposed to you know I'm sure artists over the year you've worked with some will drag albums out for years in the writing process. Yeah. Is, it, is it something that you thrive on? You know, we've got ten days, eleven days. No, no. This is this is well. It, you got John. You got to remember. I am from the late sixties, early seventies when albums were made in a week. You know, yeah. all the purple albums were done in a week or ten days. You know, and my friends in Zeppelin and Sabbath the same kind of way. You know, um, so. For me to go back to that was 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 refreshing, because in the eighties, which I don't remember, as you know, sure. and the nineties were, were, were long drawn out six month windows of 
spending you know hundreds of thousands of dollars on these albums and having to repeat your vocals and I've never really been a vocalist that, that does more than one or two takes anyway mm-hmm. so the way we operate in black country and the way I've been operating since I've been recording live since 2002 you know um, with my own stuff so when I go in the studio I'm only there for a few days it's something that I do thrive on I think if you over egg the pudding if you over cook something you just take the nutrition's out of it yeah and there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of soul and groove within our band you know especially on number four there's a lot of holes in 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 the music a lot of a lot of embellishments uh, chords and 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 there's a lot of feeling on the cove and when the morning comes and song for my resting place there's a lot of embellishment in the vibe and the sounds and the chord sequences and the less is more if you will you know some people are saying Hughes is reined in on this album well not really I just felt you know I, I sing each album differently I never follow a a blueprint of how I should sing a record oh Joe and I never really follow a blueprint of songs but we wanted to make this album in a in a category that is black country communion sounding right and what is that what is that sound what is that sound well if you've got possibly the greatest blues rock player on the planet in your band and you've got a bonham on the drums and you've got an insanely brilliant keyboard player and you've got this this singer you know everybody knows my my heritage this guy with the the range and the and the vocal capacity to to do what I do and I play bass very groovy and it's like it's it's kind of written in the in the wind that this is what's going to happen you know and yeah. we, we are we are we are we are listeners we always listen to one another we're big big, big fans of each other yeah when it's... I play with Jason Bonham when I, when I play with Jason Bonham the gloves are off I played with his father countless times and I played with both Bonhams and when I'm playing with a Bonham the gloves are off yeah, it's just it's insane, you know. It's it's a it's a wonderful thing to do. Yeah, I, I think it's enjoyable when you listen to the album because you, you certainly wear the influences. You mention your listeners, and you know, you guys have been in certain bands and things like that. You hear the influences very clearly, but it blends them so nicely that it doesn't appear to be you know some sort of nostalgia trip. It doesn't come off as you know trying to no, you know, rip no. off Purple Sound or anything like that. It's certainly very organic. No. You know, look, look. It's it's difficult because I'm the one living in this body, this this whatever you want to call it, this mm-hmm. this vessel. You know, and I, you know when we formed the band, we thought it was you know Kevin, Joe, and I thought it'd be appropriate to tip the hat to, to a little bit of Deep Purple, a little bit of seventies, a little bit of you know early seventies sound, a little bit of organic vibe, you know, and that's what we did, and that's where we stayed. And, you know, it would be ridiculous to, for us to create a folk album or a, you know, uh, anything other than where we are with Black Country Communion. We, we are a, a very dynamic live studio band mm-hmm. that is capable of doing quite anything. It's, nope. it's pretty, you know, it's, it's, it's wild. Yeah, you certainly got the, you know, everybody individually has got you know you're talking about the best of the best at your instrument so it's certainly mm-hmm. you know it, then it comes down to chemistry and certain you know bands out there have had the best of the best and it doesn't work uh, you guys uh, seem to blend no. 
Now, when you and um, Joe sat down to write, I'm just kind of curious the process. Do you do you write with guitar? Or do you you know does he play the guitar? You play the bass? You kind of just scatter melody? Well, I w- w- I'm letting you in a kind of a secret here. Um, if I've got something in my head that I need Joe to to hear, I'll play a guitar to him, of mm. course, because you can't get the colours on a bass. And the, there were opportunities where I did have some ideas that we Joe finished with me, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, that's and by the way, that's the way I you know, with Afterglow it was all a very much Glenn album written by me. Right. Um primarily. Uh, but with this album I said to Joe in, on that dinner in uh, in Santa Monica, I said, um be great to come in the studio and and start writing like in the moment with not any preconceived ideas but let's just say you know a couple of mornings when Joe came over I'd I'd, I'd woke up that morning and and, and had this thing in my head like with Love Remains or Collide I had and when the morning comes I had a definitive sequence of things I wanted to play to Joe to give us the encouragement to finish it Mm -hmm. you know and that's what happened but primarily John, we wrote toe-to-toe, a, a yard from one another, facing one another on chairs in my studio, me, me either with a bass or with an, a, a guitar, and Joe with, with one of his many, yeah. <laughs> many Les Pauls. He, he brought over three or four of his 59s, uh, uh, primarily to show me them, uh, and uh, it's quite amazing what he has. But i got to tell you, Writing this album with my friend was was a dynamic experience because I, I, Joe, to me, is a, is a young man. He's 40. I'm 66, you know, and I could be his father, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but to see the joy when we were writing in his face was was really, really encouraging to me to know that I we did I, that I had done the right thing by doing that album number four with Joe. Right. Um, I was never concerned that he was not going to show up on time or never concerned he wasn't going to show up with a smile on his face. And I wasn't concerned he would never show up with a Diet Coke in his hand. Because <laughs> <laughs> he always did. And and he showed up with, uh, to me every day on time and, and he was bright, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and there was nothing done in my studio other than love and work. Wonderful. We had no complaints we had nothing going on except love and work and to be of service to one another to be of service to everyone that listens to this music and i knew when we wrote wanderlust on day two that we were on to a winner i just yeah. knew the album was going to be epic you know yeah. we hadn't even written you know we hadn't even written uh, joe's track you know the uh song from resting song. place yet we hadn't even written you know um the crow we hadn't even written you know whatever we hadn't sway you know we hadn't written that you know it's like these things started to pop out you know Joe was at my home every day for three and a half hours and we wrote 18 songs the thing with BCC and I'm going to touch on something here that needs to be touched on Mm -hmm. there's a band here that is so dynamically brilliant in the studio There's, there's a band here that could record five albums a year you know, if we if we had to, if we needed to. Sure. And there's a band here that's begging for more if you follow my drift. Absolutely. You know, so it's like I joined this band 
thinking this band would be a band that would go to to play and and do things and and record more and and live stuff. But what has happened, John? This band, and I'm being very honest with you, this band is the greatest recording band, new recording in the millennium years uh, on the planet in rock music. I say this again to be clear. This is a fantastic recording band. Mm -hmm. You know, people can read into anything they want here. We make fantastic work in the studio and that's all I got to say yeah. it's a beautiful beautiful I love working with my friends I've known Jason since he was in diapers yeah knowing his, knowing his dad so t- well you know so my my message is, is that long may we continue making great records <laughs> can I ask um you work with Kevin Shirley again and Joe is no stranger working with Kevin Shirley you know it's mm. almost on every album I can think of um can you talk you know you've done production what Kevin specifically brings to the to the equation of, of the sound, yeah. sound of the band well we come in with the songs you know we come in with the songs um, this is the only album that all the songs you hear John the arrangements on the songs are the way we wrote them in in, this, in my studio mm. um, the demos are exactly as the arrangements are on the album that's the first time we've ever done it because normally we change the arrangements with Kevin but this one was really kind of because we spent so much time Joe and I on this album writing this album that we the, the arrangements I think were pitch perfect spot on dead on you know <clears throat> so in all Kevin's job is to write because you know you, the musicianship within the four of us is pretty intense you know it's, yeah. it's pretty raging it's raging but less is more for Kevin and less is more for me actually it's like we don't want to over egg the pudding we don't you know cook this thing and have all the ingredients and nutrition taken out so less is more is what we have to do with the bottom on the drums less is more is always the way to go and with keyboards on this album it's more Mellotron and more grand piano and organ rather than a lot of synths which we needed on this album Kevin brought you know his ideals on what instruments should be played and what should be left out Mm -hmm. you know let's leave some space in the grooves and the notes Um, he's just kind of and by the way he doesn't sit in the control room he sits in the studio with us on on a stool kind of like with his headphones on as we're working and he's you know watching all of us and and grooving with us and giving us encouragement and then when we go back into the control room he gets behind the desk and he starts messing about with you know mixing stuff you know pre-mixing stuff sure this album was recorded in five days um and it's probably it doesn't make any sense to people in the 80s and 90s people were in the studio as you remember yeah some forever. bands were in the studio two years no, I've not done that I, I've never done that since 2002 I've been making live albums in the studio because since yeah. Chad Smith entered my life in 2002 he demanded <laughs> he demanded hey remember that band you used to be in called Deep Purple remember you used to record live I said yeah that's what we're going to do now so I've got that over my head you know so me you know people say to me how can you can do these albums in five six days well it's just the way that we do it yeah if you look we're, back we're, at some 
some of the best albums of all time were done like that. So, you know, there's certainly something to be said for that. Well, you know, I've been privy to see some other bands work in Zeppelin in the 70s and, <clears throat> and, and the way they operated and, and um, you know, Purple. We were only in the studio uh, two weeks tops, you know. So it's it's live is you can't hide beat when it's live. I don't want to have an album sounding processed sounds and and you know overdubbed voices and what have you and you'll never hear an auto tune on a Glenn Hughes record. There's no way. That'd know? be criminal. Um, I mean, I'm a first or second se- first or second take singer. This album is first take or no more than. Two seconds. No way. It's, there's no way on a Black Country album that will ever. In fact, you know, I did sing Wanderlust and Love Remains before I left to go to deal with my mom's health mm-hmm. on day four. I did get a chance to sing Wanderlust and Love Rem- and, and When the Morning Comes, and then I sung the rest of it when I got back in March after having a, a service for my mom. So, you know, I, I got to sing. This album was sung under some, some duress, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, again, John, I don't sing about hobbits and goblins and weasels and dragons. I sing about the human condition. Right. And I get a, I got a chance to sing about all of that on this album. Yeah, it, it certainly makes for, you know, I think very interesting lyrics, you know, when you go through in the second, third pass, when you start to actually listen, you know, to the words as opposed to just the melody. Um, I think you guys have made... You know, a, a truly fantastic record. I know from myself, as a fan of you know your work, Derek's work, and you know everyone's work in the band, this one to me really does kind of rise to the top rather quickly. Um, well, if, Joe and I, Joe and I, really seriously committed to this album. We would. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing about Joe Bonamassa is very real and truthful. What you what you see is what you get with Joe, and if he tells you he's going to be at your house at eleven o'clock, he's going to be there at ten fifty nine. That's just the way Joe is. And that's the kind of guy I love. That's the kind of guy I can depend on. I'm the same way with him. We have a lot of respect for one another. Yes, I'm old enough to be his dad. We all know that. <laughs> but you can't really hear that on this on the records. It sounds like four young dudes. And, and, and John, don't get me wrong. I don't want you to think, don't think that I'm young. I just am energized inside on, in the inner self of Glenn News, not the outer self, not the guy with the the hair or, or the short hair the long hair or the skinny legs or whatever <laughs> that's forget that guy it's the inner self that's more important to me and you know if, if you think i sound like i'm 25 that's all that's okay I, I, but i'm 66 i'm not that guy you know glenn, glenn i think you're, you're timeless in many many people's eyes so no, no worries about that um thank you again the new album uh, black country community four is going to be coming out september 22nd glenn i don't want to take any more mm-hmm. of your time i really appreciate talking to you today always a pleasure john and and, and uh, hey to everybody and thank you so much for your love all right a big thank you to glenn Hughes again black country communion four will be out on september 22nd uh they're going to be doing a couple shows in europe that they've announced so far but keep an eye out hopefully we'll get that band in the united states i know uh it's kind of like herding cats getting all the members of that band together to do a tour um you know sometimes i think they're lucky they get together to do an album but hopefully there's going to be a full-on tour with that band i think it'd be fabulous to get a chance to see them we're going to turn our attention now to bob kulik who is a obviously a name that, that many people know over the years he's worked with kiss he's worked with twisted sister uh, members he's worked with uh meatloaf 
many, many different uh, bands over the years. He's got a new album. Uh, actually, hard to believe almost that this is his first solo album. This is called Skeletons in the Closet is the name of the album. It's been released earlier in the month of September. Uh, got really, you name it, kind of an all-star band uh, of people who work on the album. He's got his brother Bruce Kulik, uh, Rudy Sarzo, Vinnie Apice, um, Robin McCauley on vocals, Dee Snyder does vocals, um, Scott Coogan, uh, obviously a friend of Iron City Rocks, who's been on the show many times, doing vocals, Andrew Freeman, um, Chuck Wright from Quiet Riot works on the album. So really uh, just a, a fantastic album. Even Eric Singer of Kiss, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention him. So the album you know, is a really cool listen, and as we talk about in the interview, and uh, it's very interesting how cohesive it sounds. When you take all these musicians that contribute work to this, um, different drummers, different bass players, different singers, I expected it to sound like a, a hodgepodge, but it really is a very cohesive album. So I'm going to play you uh, just a little bit of uh, one of the tracks. This is Bruce and Bob Kulik on guitar with Derek St. James on vocals. Um, this is called Guitar Commandos, and then we'll get into that interview with Bob Kulik.
gentlemen, my distinct pleasure to welcome to the show a longtime guitarist extraordinaire, Bob Kulik. How are you doing, Bob? Great, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. And my pleasure. Um, Bob, you are set to release in, in a few short weeks uh, your, hard to believe, this first solo album in Skeletons in the Closet. Um, so I, I guess the obvious question after all this time in the music industry, why now? Why an album at this point in your career? And, and you know, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. Uh, the reason that now was a good time was because, in a synchronistic way, all of the things that needed to happen to line up to actually make this work happened. My girlfriend, who was also uh, the photographer, took the vast majority of the pictures on the CD. Julie Bergman's uh, encouraged me, even after I had checked out and given up on the idea of doing, you know, any big projects anymore after I lost my studio in Los Angeles, um, she encouraged me to do a solo record, introduced me to Bobby Ferrari, who wound up co-producing the record at his great studio, Vegas View Recording. And because I had written four original tunes with my old balance bandmate, Doug Katsaris, everything lined up, the material was available, co-producer had a studio who loved the material and wanted to work with me and with Julie's encouragement and you know support throughout the process we were able to get started on this record these four new songs utilizing a lot of the musicians that I had worked with in the past on projects that I had been involved with and so Dee Snyder and Robin McCauley and Vinnie Apice and Frankie Benali and Rudy Sarzo and Brent Fitz and Todd Kearns and all of the great people that are on the five new songs, the four originals and the one cover song, Goldfinger, um, you know, was able to uh, start off the record once I had those five done. Um, it just seemed like what we were trying for an EP at first. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, we'll just do an EP. But then it just seemed like, well, what about all those songs that you have sitting in your closet? Right. What about all those little skeletons in there of the songs that never really get to be heard properly and so you know going through a few of them with Bobby and you know he was like these fit great and so the other five were added hence the skeletons in the closet moniker including a song with the actual title itself and you know I just thought now we have a concept now we have some new songs some retrospective songs 23 guest artists it seemed like it was right for my my first solo record (laughs) Yeah. Now, I, the one thing I have to say in listening to the album, and I knew there were some older songs and some newer songs, is other than obviously the the, the cover song of Goldfinger. After even after listening to the albums, I can't tell you which was which. You know, which I think is a testament to the songwriting being very consistent, and um, you know the 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 themes of the songs, and you know the whole feel of the album. It doesn't feel like you did a you know, a lot of bands will redo their, you know, seminal album and throw some after tracks on or something. This doesn't feel like you just threw some other songs on to fill a record. Um, Thank so. you. Yeah, I, you know, we, we really tried to uh, make a cohesive record, even though we were taking in some uh, material that was, shall we say, you know, recorded, you know, back in the day, you right. know. Uh, so the fact that it some of that stuff stands up tells you how well it was recorded. Uh, the studio that I recorded at uh, was every bit the same kind of studio that we recorded back in the day, a studio right. like Electric Ladyland, like a power station, right. like a, you know, uh, media sound, like one of the NRG, like any one of those big studios. So, um, 
that's where we recorded the the other stuff. And so, uh, you know, it, it did have the the uh, thing in common of being recorded at great studios. And also when you have great singers, which I think every one of these singers is a great singer, it, it, it helps to tie it together. Yeah. There's really no no weak link. You know, it's not like, oh, what happened here? You know, so, you know, I, I felt that it wasn't too much of a gamble to have uh, this many people on here and still have a solo record because as you're saying it, it does come off as a cohesive record with mm-hmm. my writing and my guitar playing and my production being the thread throughout and I guess this is a question maybe for you with your producer hat more than your guitarist hat but you take all these different musicians and you've got I mean I think more members of Quiet Riot on this record than Quiet Riot's latest record and you've got all these different bands and all these different especially with the drummers you know Scotty Coogan how do you get it so that it doesn't sound radically different track to track you know I mean you can you know as I was listening to the album I'm looking at who's on this and, and I always enjoy that with your albums because they always have you know it's kind of fun the all-star team you get involved but it doesn't sound like from song to song that you took a you know a sharp left or a sharp right, you know the guitars sound consistent, the bass sounds consistent. Even you know they're different singers, you know it doesn't sound like you it doesn't sound like a TSO album where you've got people just totally do, doing different things song per song. Yeah, I think I think the key, uh, at least for the first five songs, uh, was where we recorded and and how they were recorded and with whom. Bobby Ferrari is an incredible engineer, producer, and musician, and he's meticulous about the way things sound. Mm-hmm. The room up there uh, for drum sounds is, is is incredible, and you know, so knowing that, you know, everybody's kept in a uh, a certain uh, you know place where it, it all appears to be totally consistent. Mm-hmm. Even though the songs are different and the players and their approaches are slightly different, it all winds up coming down to focusing on the songs. And I think that was uh, the biggest part of it, is that everything sounds great. As long as the songs come across, right. nothing's going to appear to be wrong. You know, so it was always a challenge trying to, you know, have, you know, different people with different instruments, with different approaches and styles and all of that to make it work on here. But yet, the material dictated what was played, and to that end, I think we're very lucky in that everybody did their part, um, and the casting was perfect. I couldn't yeah. have asked for anything better. Yeah, couldn't no. ask for anybody better. You know, I think of some of the albums that you've been involved with, the Wish, Wish You a Metal Axmas and the, the Sinatra album, where song to song they sound kind of different because, you know, we're not really expecting consistency. I was just very impressed with this because it, you know, you know, it almost sounds like you know one guy put the guitar down, connected to the same amp, and the next guy picked it up, and the next bass player picked it up, and the next drummer played on the same kit. Um, you know, it really, really worked. Um, so. Thank you very much. Yeah, this was this was something that was important, and I'm glad you picked up on it. There is there is a consistency to this that is important for continuity, and and, and for for you know, listener uh, ability to not be confused. Mm-hmm. So the old songs, as you're saying, don't sound like their old songs. So this way, somebody can appreciate them on face value. Yeah, it, it is really, really cool. And it, it's, you know, I, I love the guitar tone. It almost reminded me of your brother's playing on Revenge um, a little bit in, in the, you know, when I first heard it, I, I could kind of conjure up like how his guitar sounded on Unholy. 
and uh, it really kind of got me in the mood and you know the vocals are out of this world so hats off um, to that are are you thinking of, of taking this on the road at all or is that in your well actually you mentioned my brother and we're actually going to be playing on the Kiss Cruise in November okay we're doing a special show uh, and we're going to be joined by Brent Fitz and Todd Kearns who are also on the record Slash's X Rhythm Section mm-hmm uh, and they're going to be playing with us, so we're going to do an hour show. And uh, Brent and Todd and I have been rehearsing, and uh, we're talking about some shows. Nothing is booked yet or definite, but it is the plan. We'll see what happens. No, At least we know we're going to start off with the Kiss Cruise, and that'll be a great gig. No, if, if you don't, don't mind me reminiscing back, uh, you mentioned your brother uh, and you playing together. Um, it's now been 40 years, and, and it's, it's hard for me to imagine since the two of you played with the, you know, the Neverland Express backing Meatloaf on the Bat Out of Hell tour. Can you talk just a little bit about what that experience was like, you know, going on on the road with your little brother, you know, at that point on, on what, you know, ended up blowing up into the, one of the biggest albums of all time? It was a very unique experience. We auditioned for the band, and initially they wanted me and somebody else, and I made it clear to them that I was only interested in doing this with Bruce. And I, because I felt that having the brothers and, and the fact that we wanted to do a bunch of harmonies stuff together mm-hmm. and that we could split the parts up without there being any ego um i was able to convince them and and subsequently obviously they were very pleased with the results you know um the the tour itself you know we just figured you know just go out and do some shows and see what happens nobody thought that that would happen nobody thought that you know, after doing all those college shows and all of that, and with a record that was essentially dead, mm-hmm. you know, that all of a sudden there would be all this interest in this live act, and now all of a sudden the record is live again, now all of a sudden it's selling, now we're on Saturday Night Live, now we're going to England and Europe and Australia, and the record's number one everywhere, and now we're one of the biggest bands in the world. How did this happen? It was just in the middle, being in the middle of a cyclone that just kept going, you know, and it, what it proved to me was that the power of a great band that can play all the time mm-hmm. can get up there and make magic so that's what happened the, the live show basically sold the record the record those songs were too long for radio formats and the only reason that it worked was because the audience pushed it upon them by saying this is a great live act and we, we demand that these songs be played and so then you heard that out of hell and two out of three was a hit and all, all of the rest paradise by the dashboard line and all that stuff it was a unique experience for Bruce and I. Um, it was very difficult, um, but because the reward at the end was that we were all part of something that actually worked, that actually went from rags to riches, that actually yeah. went from who to, oh my God, you're in Meatloaf? You know, it was yeah. one of those. Yeah, I, I remember, obviously, I mean, it, growing up a Kiss fan, you know, it was where Bruce and it was where your name has always been associated with the band. And I remember getting the Bat Out of Hell DVD, um, the live one from Rock Palace, and I'm watching it, and, I, and I'm the kind of person that reads the credits, and I'm like, oh my god, that was the Kulik Brothers, and I had to rewind, and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm trying to figure out, you know, Bruce has got a mustache, and, you know, it was just like, I can't believe this, you know, because it was just totally unknown. But um, when, when you took that job, um, was it something you heard about the record, Something in Jim's no, actually, vision, or is just a, I needed a job. 
didn't need a job, but uh, the drummer that I had worked with, Joe Stefko, I worked with him, with John Cal. He had hooked up with Meatloaf and Steinman, and he was the one that suggested uh, me. And then I suggested my brother. So it, it came from within the band. That's excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for indulging that. Um, now, your album, uh, Skeletons in the Closet, will be out as September, September 16th, I believe that is, in the U.S. 15th, sorry. Um, we'll look forward to you on the Kiss Cruise, and hopefully we'll be hearing about a, a tour sooner than later. And uh, do you have any other recordings? I know you always have those kind of fun compilation albums and, and tribute albums. Any more of that stuff in the pipeline, or is that... This is kind of all taking a backseat to the to the skeletons in the closet record. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm concentrating on on this record. Uh, the cruise uh, thing is is a big deal for us, so that's going to be something that's going to be fun with the Kiss connection. Gene having called me recently to tell me that uh, four of the songs that I wrote with him back in the day are going to be on his box set that he's going to be putting out later in the year. And four songs that I produced uh, uh, with Motorhead, uh, including mm-hmm. God Save the Queen and Whiplash, the song that we won the Grammy for Best Metal Performance, are going to be on the new release that Motorhead's putting out, um, their cover songs. So it's, uh, the CD score undercover, and that's going to be coming out, and I have four songs I produced on that. So, you know, these are the kind of the, the three things, the four things that I'm kind of concentrating on now, and producing some new young talent. Uh, we just finished producing a young artist um, named Jacob Reese Thornton. He's 14 years old, and the kid is phenomenal. He's in Florida, uh, and he came to Vegas and recorded with us, and totally impressed. Excellent. Write songs, play guitar, sing. So, you know, if if there's no young talent to pass the torch to, we're all going to be in trouble. Amen. So I think this is a very important thing to do. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I've been keeping busy doing, you know. You, you are indeed the the Kevin Bacon of hard rock. You know, I, I don't think anybody yeah. gets too far away from from Bob Kulik. So, Bob, I want to thank you so much. I, I'll taking up enough time of your day, but I wish you all the best with the new record. Thank you so much, Don. Really appreciate the good interview. I'm glad you enjoyed the record. It, it means everything, and you know, to spend so much time on something like this. All right, again, a big thank you to Bob Kulik. The album Skeletons in the Closet is available now, and you can check that out. Now we're going to turn our attention. Uh, we've had a few punk bands on the uh, show recently. I've got some good feedback on that. So we're going to turn our attention to a band called X, who are uh, coming in to do a show in Pittsburgh actually very soon at the Rex Theater on September 22nd. Uh, they're kind of celebrating their 40th year. Uh, they had a uh, Kickstarter campaign to raise some funds to put together their first live album, which is called X Live in Latin America. Uh, the band did phenomenal with the Kickstarter campaign, uh, and they're doing some touring so uh, it was exciting because they got the original lineup back together. Uh, so we had a chance to talk to DJ Bonebreak about this uh, tour that they're doing, the live album, etc. So without further ado, let's get into that interview with DJ Bonebreak of X. Ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks drummer DJ Bonebreak of the band X. How you doing, DJ? I'm doing absolutely great. I'm in a van on, a, on the way to Boston. Yay. On the way to Boston. Well, there's worse places. Worse oh, it's pl- going to be great. Yeah. Let me, um, uh, you guys are coming into Pittsburgh to do a show kind of celebrating 40 years of of the band X. Uh, you're coming in Monday night on the 25th of September to play a show at the Rex. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what that, you know, the significance of 40 years 
uh, of the band, and, and you're all still, you know, coming to the same venue in the same place, and you know, no one's fighting. Uh, it, you know, it feels great. You know, uh, it feels the same as ever, but it, it, it's always great when people come to the shows. You know, we just we just played last night in in uh, Portland, Maine, and the audience was fantastic. You know, it was a sweaty club, and and it's a great feeling you know it seems like it's it's repetitious we keep going on the road we drive around in bands you know all that stuff but it's it's really satisfying to to play music and uh it's great can i ask i mean you rewind the clock 40 years and i think you know a lot of people think uh you know with metal bands and punk bands that it's made up of you know young pissed off angry young men um, you guys kind of a different mold, obviously, um, having a female in the band. Uh, but now you're 40 years older. Um, how kind of interesting is that, to, you know, to look out of the audience instead of seeing, you know, angry kids with mohawks, seeing, you know, middle-aged people? Uh, they're they're just about as enthusiastic. I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe there isn't as much fighting or mm. you know, testosterone. Testosterone. I can't say. It. <laughs> Testosterone. I can't say. It. <laughs> I, I have these earplugs in, but anyway, you understand. Sure. And, and I could say it. And 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 it's uh, it just and, and and there's also there's a mixture. There's younger kids and there's older people. It's just fantastic. Um, there's certainly. Uh, I would think in this political climate, plenty to be pissed off about uh, as much now as there was back then. Um, you guys obviously. You were from the West Coast, uh, you know. A lot of I think people kind of associated in the '80s punk rock with the East Coast bands, you know, the Ramones, etc. Um, even Europe. Um, what was the scene like in the, you know, when you started out for punk bands in that era? Uh, well, it was it was it really was underground, you know. It was there was a small group of people in L.A. who would go to the same clubs every night. The, the clubs would change, you know, every every week or every every couple days, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know you would go to show and, and you would say, well, what's happening tomorrow night? They go, oh, they just uh, rented this uh, hall tomorrow, you know, for tomorrow, and and uh, the show starts at nine. You know, you couldn't look it up in the paper. It was totally word of mouth or it was uh, communicated, uh, you know, via flyer, you know, mm-hmm. little little Xerox flyer so and and it seems like you knew if you played in the band you knew half the people in the audience and uh, you know we didn't know what the hell we were doing yeah. you know so we were just like making it up and, and, and it was you know the only templates were were you know other bands we heard on the, you know on singles or you know or on the, you know maybe on the Rodney Bingenheimer show or something you know one specialized show or, or you know so um, yeah of course we were young and it was exciting sure um, I, I think you're obviously you know got quite a bit of drumming skill and, and I think when, you know people tend to think of punk rock especially people not maybe huge fans of punk rock music think of it as somewhat of a simplistic music form but then you've also done time as a jazz drummer which I think a lot of people think wow that's kind of like the highest of the high in skill level can you talk about you know maybe the difference in your approach to those two styles of music when you drum well uh, you know I'm not the greatest jazz drummer but I when I was younger I, I tried to play every style you know I was interested in a lot of things so 
you know, uh, and I just happened to end up in a jazz band. And so, uh, and I play some classical music too. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, you know, obviously rock and roll it has is simpler. You know, it's 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 louder too. So, you know, you you can't always play as many subtle notes. I think that's the main difference. Um, also, there's more improvisation in jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's uh, I mean, that's, a, that's a lot of what it is. You know, uh, so uh, yeah, so 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 the rock thing is more scripted, even though there's room for some improvisation, little bits of you know, you can change things, change the drum uh, fills. Um, I don't know, just a different approach. Uh, Do you find but, one more more difficult for for you personally, or one more? You know, kind of exhilarating. Well, it, well, it just depends. I mean, whatever you, you know, if I played jazz all the time, I was, it might be easier because it's quieter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it, you know, sometimes it seems like rock and roll seems so easy, but uh, sometimes when it's really loud and and you're trying to keep the time together, uh, I sometimes think of of you know sailors who who have been uh, caught in a storm and they're they're you know they've been thrown off the ship and they're trying to, to swim for their lives you know mm-hmm. it, it just you know it just feels like it, it takes a massive amount of concentration and strength uh, to make it work but that, that you know and, and I find that, that the bigger stage you play the more that exists it seems like it would be easier with all the monitors and everything but you know um, uh, yeah just a, even though even though it's you know basically pretty simple you know, I, and when I play, I make faces, and I I look like I'm really concentrating. The music isn't really that hard, but it's it, it, most of what I'm concentrating on is you know uh, how to steer the ship, so to speak. You know, how sure. to keep it, you know, uh, going straight in a storm. So mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> if that explains it. Sure. Um, can I ask uh, just one thing that you know, going back in the history of the band, how you guys came to work with Ray Manzarek of the Doors? Well, he just, uh, we were playing uh, a show at the Whiskey A Go Go in 1979, uh, opening for another band, and he, he happened to be in the audience. I think he might have been checking out the headliner. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he had heard about us somewhere. You know, there's been some articles written. And uh, I think he just liked the music, you know. Uh, and, and I mean, one interesting thing about that is we were doing the cover of Soul Kitchen. And it was totally unrecognizable to him, right. uh, you know, so fast and so different. And, and I think his wife Dorothy, you know, pointed it out. They're in the audience, and, and she kind of elbowed him, and he's like, "What? You know, I don't what? You know, yeah. I don't know the song." And so, but uh, he liked us, and he, he came backstage that night, and he said, "I, I would like to uh, produce you, you know, like to record you," and and. Uh, and so, yeah, it was as simple as that. And, and I think he, he did his best to, to get us a, a major contract, mm-hmm. but uh, it didn't happen. So uh, no one, you know, everyone passed uh, on, on the band. So we ended up going to Slash Records, which was basically a magazine sure. that had put out a couple couple bands. You know, didn't have a big budget, but, uh, you know, uh, I think, in fact, I think uh, Ray worked for free. He just said, you know, work for points on the record. Because the budget was so low, uh-huh. so that's how. And then he did the next 
you know, either the first six, three records after that, four records, first four records. Excellent. Um, now, you guys had a Kickstarter campaign to put out, a, you know, kind of a, a live album live in Latin America. Um, do you have an anticipated time when that's going to be released? Oh, that's, that's a good question. I think I think it's going to be mixed. Uh, I mean, probably in September. It has to be, has to be pressed. I, I don't know exactly. I think I, 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 uh, maybe Exine could say, but I think it's... I'm guessing maybe maybe November or something okay. like that. You know, I, if it takes longer, don't sue me. You know, but <laughs> no. uh, but but it's in the works now. You know, that, uh, uh, some of the mixing it no. should be should be mixed uh, by early October. Awesome. Now, uh, have you guys kicked around going into the studio like new material at all? A new material? Yeah. No, we no, we haven't done that. We. Uh, we're talking about some possibilities. Maybe we'll do something eventually. Um, I mean, the only thing we really recorded, uh, we did a Christmas song, a couple Christmas songs, mm-hmm. about four or five years ago. We, we did a couple things for movies, did a couple songs for the X Files movie, you know. Right. And uh, but we really haven't uh, recorded uh, new material. Um, oh, wow. No, you know, but we'll see. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you, uh, DJ, again. You guys are coming in Monday night doing a show at the Rex in Pittsburgh. Um, it should be a fantastic crowd, a great night of, of music, uh, you know, celebrating 40 years of the band, and, and I wish you safe travels into Pittsburgh, man. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Nice talking to you. All right, again, thank you to all of our guests for joining us on the show. Well, thank you to Glenn Hughes, Black Country Communion. Four is available on September 22nd. Bob Kulik, Skeletons in the Closet, available now. Uh, you can get that on Amazon and also uh, DJ Bonebreak of X who are going to be coming in September 25th to do a show at the Rex so uh, thank all those guests you can visit us at ironcityrocks.com Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Twitter are all forward slash ironcityrocks you can email us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com or you can visit our homepage use the contact link we do love hearing from folks you know let us know what you think of we want more metal, more rock, more pop, more country, whatever you want to hear. Uh, we're interested in hearing it. We haven't had too many uh, requests for pop music, but, you know, certainly like to hear what people are interested in listening to. Do you like variety? Do you like uh, shows that have more uh, artists with things in common? Do you like shows with diverse, you know, like this show where we had a punk band and a metal uh, guitarist and a rock singer? Um, let us know what you like. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, and uh, we value your feedback greatly. So, till next time, thank you so much for your time listening today. <laughs>